And uh, I went to Pasadena City College and he gave me the position as defensive coordinator. Now I'm only about 22, 23 years old, man. And I'm defensive coordinator at a junior college program, but I love to recruit. I always knew the only way I can overcome my deficiencies in what I know about the game, have great players. If you have great players, they make great plays. And great plays make you a winning team. And make you look really good as a coach. Really good as a coach. (laughs) (laughs) Just put them on the field and don't mess them up. Episode 99, I sit down with my friend Harvey Hyde. Harvey Hyde has a long history in coaching, in radio, in the college ranks. We talk about his journey throughout, where he started, what he's still doing. He's an 84-year-old man with a ton of energy, more than any 30-year-old nowadays. I've known Harvey since I was a kid. I would spend my summers in Catalina Island, and so would Harvey most of the time. So we always sit on the beach and rap out about sports. This was an episode I was really looking forward to because of that. He's a good guy. He's got a ton of things going on in life still, and there's no stopping him. Let's get into it. Episode 99 with my guy, Harvey Hyde. Here we go. Chick Hearn. I got a picture with Chick and I were on a show together in Vegas, you know. Is that when the Lakers were there training? No, he used to do Jerry's Tarkanians games with for Dick Manugian. Chick Hearn and used to broadcast all the Tarks games on Channel 9 down here. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. You, you weren't born then. While he was with the Lakers or uh, no? Yeah. Really? He'd fly up there and fly back the same night. It made Tarks program or program, you know, UNLV really popular. Now. Yeah. Well, we started talking about how long we've known each other. How long do you think it's been? Well, I've known you before you were born. How's, how's that? I'd say, I, I met you on the beach somewhere, but I've uh, known you a long time, Mikey. I'll tell you, I've watched you grow up from a kid playing on the beach to becoming a boy, then a man, working with your family, and now married, and just all of the process of life, you know. And I've been fortunate enough to watch you grow up and, uh, and know your family, friends. I attended your wedding. That was a big celebration and a place that you wanted to have it because you love it there so much. And I could get any better. You know, you're so fortunate. Yeah. We are. We all are. We are. You know, um, first off, thanks for coming. This was something, and I've, I've saved a lot of these questions because I, I never asked you them growing up because I, I manifested on a day like this because I've always wanted you on the show. We finally put a date together and we, we did it. You know, we talked about it for a long time and now we're here. So appreciate you obviously coming. I don't, I don't know how you grew up, Harvey. I don't okay. know where you grew up. Where, where did you grow up? What was, what was childhood like for you? Well, uh, I was born at Huntington Hospital in Pasadena. So I lived in Pasadena all my life. Lived on the corner of Mountain and Hill, if you can figure that in your, your mind. My dad had a little market in Pasadena where I used to work after school, and he worked seven days a week. That's the way it was. Kids would come by, you know, it was, a, it was sort of a place to come by and get your candy and everything. And my dad would make lunch. It's sort, of, sort of like the 7-Elevens today, one of those okay. type of places. And uh, went through the Pasadena School District, uh, K through 12, all the way through. Uh, went to Pasadena City College. I'm the only child. And I'm half Armenian. That's why my name's Hyde. But my mother was Armenian, Kazoyan. Mm. 
So I went through the Pasadena School District, then I went to uh, Pasadena City College, played one year of football there, and uh, wasn't quite sure what I wanted to be or do. And I was on that border of having been in a car club and football and sports and going out to the track, racetrack. You know, I was one of those, what am I doing here? You know, what do I want to be? So I thought, of, I, well, my parents thought it was a good idea, went in the service, okay? Sort of let me grow up. So I went into service on the six-month program. That's where you went six months active and five or six years reserve. Every summer I had to go two months to summer camp up at Fort Ord. So when I got out of the service, I said, you know, this isn't for me. I, I mean, I'm not, I, don't, I don't like this. Somebody yelling at me every day and so on and this and that. And this isn't for me, man. So I took college more serious. Where was your base? Uh, I was in, uh, well, I was in Fort Ord, and then I went to uh, Augusta, Georgia. I was an MP, 387th MP Division. And how old were you? Then? Yeah. Oh, I was probably 18, 19, young, young. Went right in after my second year of junior college. First year of junior college, because I came back and played another year of junior college. And did they think you needed it because you needed some discipline in your life? No, I think they needed it because they wanted me to beat the draft at the same time as it was drafting for Korea, Vietnam, all that was going on. And I, you either went to school or you got drafted. So I joined the service. At least I could join the branch I wanted to join. I wanted to be a military policeman, which was pretty good, except if, it, if they needed you, you put down your forty-five pistol and they handed you a rifle and away you went to the front line. So wasn't really getting out of anything. So I came back out of the service and I went back to Pasadena City College. And at this time, I was 6'3", 6'4", 205 pounds, 210 pounds. They were going to play me at a tackle, and I realized I'm just too small to be a tackle at that size. So I decided to take up weightlifting. And I took up weightlifting in Pasadena, and we were one of the first people that had a weightlifting. Weightlifting wasn't big at that time. So I went up uh, to about 250 I gained some weight, got stronger, bigger, and so on, and played my second year at Pasadena City College and made all-conference. All of a sudden, made all-conference. I don't know if I was because I was more mature or so on. We didn't have a great team, so by making all-conference, felt I had to be pretty good, you know? So I had a chance uh, to look at some scholarships. So the University of Arizona gave me a full scholarship. And my parents thought that was pretty good because it was a free scholarship, free tuition, free everything. But I was away from Pasadena, and I lived in Pasadena my whole life. So I went to Tucson, went through spring practice there, injured my knee in spring practice, and became very homesick. I did, because we're a close family. And um, after spring practice and the spring semester, which I had a lot of friends there now, a lot of junior college players were there, I decided to transfer and I went to University of Redlands where all my friends went. So they kept calling me all the time and saying, come play with us. We're going to have a great team, this and that. So now the portal wasn't in fact theirs. So when I came to Redlands, I had to sit out of here. Those days when you transferred, you had to sit out of here. So I went to University of Redlands and Ted Runner was the head coach. So what he told me, he says, you know, I want you to be around football. I want you to lift weights. You can't practice with us but I want you to help the freshman coach. At that time, freshmen couldn't play varsity football. So I learned the offense, learned the defense by helping coach the freshman football team. The next year, I was eligible, and we really had a good team. We really had some good big guys, and 
at Redlands, we were playing San Diego State with Don Coryell. We were playing Northern Arizona. We were playing the University of Nevada, Reno. I mean, we were playing teams way out of We didn't have scholarships at the University mm-hmm. of Redlands. They're academic scholarships, like our loans. So we were playing Cal Poly Pomona at that time, who was playing football. And then we played in the conference. So we had a pretty good program and a good team and so on, and we won. And uh, at that time, I graduated after two years there, and I decided to stay there and get my master's degree, but it's very important to get your master's degree if you're going to go into coaching and teaching. And my feeling was football and athletics got me to go to college, so I want to continue doing this. My major was to be a coach, because I wanted to keep doing what I love to do. I really didn't want to work for a living. I wanted to do what I love to do. So at that time, they let me coach again, the varsity, while I was getting my master's degree. And at this time, I had met my wife. And uh, we got married after she was a junior. So she was very young. So we stayed there. We got married. I worked at my degree. I got my master's degree. She graduated from college. And then we went uh, and I got a job at a high school level, Norta Vista High School in Riverside. She got a speech consultant job at uh, the Alvord School District, which was in the same school district. So it was very fortunate. We moved to Redlands and we both started working. After one year there, after the first season, which was the first year of that school, a position opened up at Pasadena City College. And since I had paid it, played at Pasadena City College, I knew everybody there, born in Pasadena, everything else. And it was a sabbatical leave. One of the coaches there, Bob Bastian, was taking a sabbatical leave, which meant he was going to travel for that year. And it was a one-year position, one year. So I asked my wife, I said, honey, this is a chance for me to get into junior college level. Let's gamble on what I can do there. And maybe we can make an impression. And I can then go on, maybe get another job somewhere. So I applied for the job. I got the job. Don Hunt was a coach there. Used to be a former uh, coach, high school coach at John Muir High School, where they had great teams. And uh, I went to Pasadena City College, and he gave me the position as defensive coordinator. Now I'm only about 22, 23 years old, man. And I'm defensive coordinator at a junior college program, but I love to recruit. I always knew the only way I can overcome my deficiencies in what I know about the game have great players. Mm-hmm. And if you have great players, they make great plays. And great plays make you. A winning team. And make you look really good as a coach. Really good as a coach. (laughs) (laughs) Just put them on the field and don't mess them up. Yep. So I love to recruit. I love meeting people. So I went out and recruited just an unbelievable football team at Pasadena City College. And they hadn't been very successful. So we had a, uh, from a losing season, we went to a winning season. I can't remember. Maybe we were seven and three that year. And um, Bob Bastian, who I, subbing for on his sabbatical leave, came back. All of a sudden, I'm out of a job. Except the president at that time at Pasadena City College was Armin Serafian. And uh, the athletic director was John Thurman and Tony Linehan, who took his place. They said, hey, we can't lose this guy. I mean, we turned it all around. Let's create a position for him, which meant they made a position they didn't have to keep me so I didn't have to go somewhere else and and play against them because I had offers because of what we did to go to different colleges, Rio Hondo College, these other colleges we just started. In one year? One year. Wow. So I stayed, and we had another great recruiting year. And uh, What position did they uh, create for you? Do you remember? Yeah, PE. PE. I taught PE so I could be out there, you know, with the kids all the time. And, yeah. 
And, and uh, you're on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, defensive coordinator. Okay. So the next year we go undefeated. Undefeated, we go to the Junior Rose Bowl, which was a huge game. Now, we had 65,000 people at this game in the Rose Bowl. And we played Henderson, Texas. And we were basically all freshmen, young players, and so on. We had a great team, really. So we played um, Henderson, Texas in the Junior Rose Bowl. We got beat, but they had a great team. They had a returning team that came back that lost the year before to Fullerton College. So they had a whole returning team come back. We lost to that, but because of the quick turnaround, your name gets out there how this happens. So I got an offer from Don King for the University of Hawaii. And here I am, you know, trying to make this level of, of moving up and so on. I've, I've, I've been, more or less, we got it here. And I list, what's next? But Hawaii's a long ways. So my wife, here's my poor wife who had got another teaching position with Lois Tarkanian at Orlingo School for the Hearing Impaired. She had to give up her job and we're just having a baby, my first daughter. So we pack up and we move to Hawaii. Now I went there silencing. I didn't know where I was living. I didn't know what type of school. I didn't know anything. Well, you, you agreed. I agreed. I'm going. Oh, wow. I took the job. Wow. The, and the interview process was over the phone. No, he came by, I interviewed me. They didn't fly me in for an interview. Wow. They, he, when he, during recruiting, they came by and interviewed me. You have no idea what the campus looks like? Oh, I had no idea. I didn't know anything about wow. it. Wow. But that's a big job, man. That's a big job. So they named me defensive coordinator. So I went to the University of Hawaii, and here I am, maybe 24 years old. Really? So we went over there, and uh, with our parents' assistance, we were able to live because it's very expensive there. And while I was there, I felt like I don't know anybody here. <laughs> so Myron Tarkanian, Jerry Tarkanian's brother, just had gotten the head coaching job at Mount San Jacinto Junior College because he was the head coach when I was at Norta Vista, the head coach of Moreno Valley High School, which is all out there in the Riverside County. So I called him up as I'm putting my defensive staff together. I said, Myron, it's unbelievable here. I said, you got to come with me. We're going to get it done here, the whole thing. And I recruited him. Yeah. I had to recruit him. I had to give him. He gave up a head job, see? Uh, he says, okay, I'll take it. You just needed a friend. Huh? I mean, you had a, you had a good guy oh, on I grew your staff, up with him. but you needed a friend. I need a friend. You needed somebody. I need somebody. You know how it is. You got to have somebody that you can confide in or trust. And What position did you give him? Uh, he's secondary. Okay. So he moves his family over there. And... Um, when he gets there, he says, it's really expensive here. <laughs> I said, yeah, but don't worry, we'll get by. What's a job like that pay back in the day? Oh, man, I made $6,500. Wow. And Six. what's and what's rent? Rent was 200 a month. Okay. So we had a nice place for that time. And Myron lived in the uh, village, which was like faculty housing, uh, because he had a baby too. We used to get together every Friday and have spaghetti, because that's all we could afford. When we go out ever and eat, we'd say one beer and two glasses. Yeah. Because you split a beer. You know what I mean? And at that time, they had poo-poos, which meant you go to a, a local place, and they bring you all the food to eat because you buy the beers, and they knew who it was. So they fed us. And yeah. all you do is tip the women who make the food. So we found ways of getting by, and he has the same philosophy as I do. They players make coaches. So immediately we started recruiting. I mean, we went at it. I mean, 
We got about three or four JC All Americans. I took about four players from five players from Pasadena City College where we had gone to the Junior Rose Bowl. Fullerton College was great. We took five or six from them. We went to SC and anybody from SC they didn't want, we took right off their campus because we could make them immediately eligible because we weren't part of a conference. There was about six or seven players that got kicked off at the Air Force Academy who were really good players because of some thing that happened. I pulled Myron to get in a plane, get up there and bring them over. So we brought all of them. It was, they had a good team. One of them was Larry Cole, played defensive tackle for the um, Dallas Cowboys for years. I mean, good player. John Hoffman from USC, 6'7", 260-pound defensive ends. I mean, we had... We yeah. went out. And got I mean, some... these are players Hawaii's never seen before. No, 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 yeah. no, no. And in a way, they were a little intimidated because they really wanted more of a local, local scene. They're local players. We didn't recruit a lot of them. And then I think that upset them, okay? Because we were bringing in players from other areas and overlooking at times their local players. But I didn't know their local players. And uh, I think maybe they may have resented us being from another area getting a coaching position at a university that is their university. You know what I mean? I'm nothing against that. I can see that. I can understand that. So we brought him in, and uh, we turned that program completely around. I mean, they hadn't won a game. I think we went like 7-5. and five. We lost to the University of Utah, who Mike Giddings was the coach then, and barely, barely lost to them, barely lost a lot of couple games. Otherwise, it was great. Well, so... We were living a long way. I made 26 trips to the mainland at that time, and they didn't have jets at that time. They had prop planes. So you can imagine how many trips we made back and forth recruiting. So I was gone from my family a lot. I mean, really gone. I mean, uh, and Myron was too, and we had little kids. Your daughter was born in Hawaii? or or? No, born here. Okay. We took her there. She was born September 1st, and we went over there like December 15th or something after I got the job, you know, four or five months old. And his daughter was about the same, her son. So there, being there, we had won, and the Passing City College head coaching job opened up, which was really a a great coaching job. Now, How many years are we talking? I was there in Hawaii one year. I was a year and a half there, when you consider the recruiting and everything else in the season. So the president of Passing City College calls me because I had been there, he said, I'd like to hire you as a head football coach. Come back from Hawaii, and you'll be our head football coach at Pasadena City College. I said, Dr. Serafian, that's great, but I asked my best friend to come to the University of Hawaii. I can't leave him here. That's just not right. You know, leave him. Of course. So you're going to have to create another position because he's going to come back with me. Otherwise, I can't take the job. So Dr. Serafian having to put the deal together, and then he says, well, that's great. Well, I said, no, not another thing. And he said, what? I want him to be a co-head football coach because I'm that close with him. He gave up a head coaching position. When we come back, we'll be co-head football coaches. I'll coach the defense. He'll coach. Oh, we reversed it. I'll coach the offense. When we come back, he'll coach the defense. So being a real enthusiastic guy for athletics and knew what it meant and everything, he said, okay. So we came back. Sorry, Harvey, you couldn't create your own staff, though, as a head coach? No, not in junior college. Okay. It was there teaching positions, and you could only have so many teaching positions. Okay. Okay. 
Hey there, guys. It's Mike. You know, as I've delved deeper into how big institutional brands support world economic health agendas and push these woke ideologies, it's become glaringly obvious that our everyday purchases matter more than you think. If you're anything like me, you're tired of unintentionally supporting brands that don't align with our values. Imagine this. Every time you swipe your card, you're casting a vote. Not in a political booth, but in the marketplace. It's time we shift our support from giants like Clorox and Lysol to brands that truly resonate with us, the real people. Brands that understand our core values and beliefs. And that's where Sono comes in. Not only are they a brand you can stand behind, but they also provide quality products that every household uses and needs. We have Clorox canisters or 409 sprays around the house, right? But do we ever stop to think about where our money goes once we've made that purchase? Well, it's time to shake things up. Sono is offering every single listener of this podcast an unbeatable deal. You're getting 30% off plus free shipping if you're in California. All you have to do is use coupon code MIKE at checkout. Head over to sonowipes.com and look for the essential bundle. It's your golden ticket to try out all their amazing products. And trust me on this. Once you experience Sono's products, you'll wonder why you ever settled for the big brands. Together, we can create a movement, a movement that's already gaining momentum out there. Let's use our dollars wisely. Let's boycott brands that don't support our values. And let's support our friends, our families, and the future of our communities. Remember, every choice matters. Choose wisely. Choose Sono. So we came back and I inherited a lot of the coaches who was with the old staff as our staff that I was equal with. Now I'm their head coach. And that was fine because they were older coaches. They were mature. They didn't want to do all the recruiting like yeah. Iron and I want to do. We went out there and wanted to get it done. Yeah. I mean, I want some players. Yeah. Here. I mean, you guys got a ton of fire in your belly. You're 25, 26 years old. I was 25 years old when I got a head coaching job. I mean, that was pretty young at that time. I don't, I don't know if there's anybody getting one now no. in a junior college, but that's, that's the way it goes. So when we came back, I wanted to create an additional part of our staff with young guys who wanted to be like we were. So we went out and hired a guy from uh, Tennessee who was out there, and we told him if he could get here, he wanted to be a GA. We brought him as a GA, another coach, Coach Luganville, who became the head coach at San Diego State and was everywhere. He brought him as a GA. We had great GAs because I wanted guys young that wanted to put their name on so they could do what I did. We win here, you get a job. Yep. We win here, you get my job yep. because I got a better job. Yep. So that's the way we, our philosophy was, you know, share the love. We all win, we all pray, we all cry, we all cheer. You know, we do it all together. So at that time, uh, they put our college passing a city college into what was at that time the metro conference now this is and they did it because passing a city college has 30 40 50 thousand students their football program wasn't that shouldn't have been in that conference at that time the way they were playing bakersfield el camino long beach city college mount sac cerritos college these are the people we had to play our first year and we were ready for that i'm telling you you go to bakersfield had twenty three thousand people in a junior college game I mean, this is this is the real deal, man, okay? And they had all these out-of-staters there and everything else. I mean, the real deal. So our first season, we don't do very good. We do, because we didn't have time to get a lot of good players. We went three and eight. 
And that was terrible. And you know, our, pre our college president didn't like it either. But we tried to explain to him that, you know, we're in a pretty tough conference here. And so the next year we came back and uh, we went undefeated. <laughs> and uh, it, it was great. It was great because we were smart enough to bring a lot of uh, Samoans with us. And it started sort of the Samoan population, American Samoan, coming to California, coming to play in college football over here. Mm. We sort of broke that. From Hawaii? Yeah. From, from your Hawaii. connections yeah. in Hawaii? Yeah. So uh. we brought them over here. They loved it here, and it gave them an opportunity to be somewhere else. So we won and uh, stayed here for a long period of time. And we were very fortunate to be very successful. I'm going I'm to leave some things out here because we don't have all day to tell every year, you know, what happened. So then back in... Uh, I, I want to, if I can, I want to go back to the coach at Redlands who allowed you to coach while you were redshirting. Did yeah. he see something in you or like, or were there other guys that you were coaching with no, that were redshirting? I think he just felt he wanted me to be a part of the program. I was transferring in, you know. I can learn the offense and defense by hanging around. But why do you think it was you and not somebody else who was redshirting? We didn't have a lot of red shirts at that time. Okay. It didn't like a big, huge program. Okay. And did you think you had coaching in you for the future? Or did did it did, did the bell come off as soon as he gave you that? No, as position? soon as he gave me that job, I didn't know anything about football. Oh. All I did was play football. I didn't know why he did this or why he did that. Or so why because he, of that opportunity. Yeah, it helped me get a head start. Wow. And and let me know that I liked it. Yeah. So uh I came back to Pasadena City College and uh we shared the head football coaching position back and forth and so on. And uh, the last four years, I was a head football coach. Uh, and in December of 19, December of 1981 uh, or 82, you can't believe this, I was offered the head football coaching position at UNLV because we had won four national championships. And the athletic director there, <clears throat> Brad Rothermill, said, I need somebody who can come in here and give us a quick fix. Guy can recruit, guy that knows California. And a guy that can uh, bring a staff in here that knows California. We want to put a fence around California. And during my interview, I told him, I don't want all the players in California. I just want our share. Because there's so many players in California. And I said, I'm not going to back away from SC, UCLA, Arizona State. These people, we're going to recruit against them. And they can't take them all either. Because they, can't, uh, they don't have enough scholarships or some can't get in and maybe we can get them in. So I put together, I thought, a fabulous staff, just a fabulous staff because I took some that had great experience that had been at Arizona State, Utah, and some of these. Plus, I took real great coaches from this area so that when they came back recruiting, everybody knew them. So when they walked in an office, they said, hey, Ronnie, come on over here. They knew him already. So he didn't have to be an introduction. He's my business guard. I'm from UNLV, you know. That doesn't work. They trust you. And I had great relationships with all the coaches here too because I recruited them. And I knew who they were and I had taken care of their players at Passing the City College. <clears throat> one year at Passing the City College, we had 28 players go Division One football. Mm. You know, graduate, go to TCU, uh, Illinois, all these places. So they knew that if I got them, I'd take care of them, help them graduate and move on. So they trusted me and trusted our staff because that's the kind of coaches I picked. So our first year at UNLV, I went there, and when I first went there, nothing against any of the players that were there, when we went out for spring ball, I said, man, my team I had at Passing City College is better than the team I have here. I had more potential players and better players there than I had at UNLV. 
So I knew this was going to be a lean year because my opening game or our opening game was against BYU on national television. Jim McMahon had been the quarterback Mm. at BYU, and uh, we didn't know anything about Steve Young and Norm Chow, these guys who were Lavelle Edwards, who was at BYU. And we're opening at home, sold-out stadium against BYU's September weekend, September 1st weekend on national TV, first game of the year. Wow. UNLV was good prior to you getting there? Wow. They, they were somewhat good, they, but they weren't a Division One level that had to play in a conference. They were like Hawaii, so they could take players. And all of a sudden, I didn't have that freedom. I had to follow the NCAA rules and the PCAA rules because it was our first year in a conference. So I had to weed out a lot of players and do a lot of transition and build facilities they didn't have facilities and it it was really uh, it was an overhaul so we go three and eight our first year and uh i'm not happy it's but we lose three or four games by one field goal we broke the ncaa record for missed field goals and we missed some from the three four yard line that would have won us games but we lost them wow so we go three and eight and the next year we get better players and at that time, we have Randall Cunningham. He becomes now a, a sophomore, okay, a junior, okay? And uh, how'd you get Randall? He was there. Okay. He was there. Okay. He'd come from Santa Barbara. He's Sam Cunningham's brother. So we develop him, and uh, uh, we put together a pretty good team. We go seven and, what do we go? Eight. We did something, eight and four, whatever. And our second year, we are playing for the league championship to go to the California Bowl, our second year. And we're up. Long Beach State has the football. We're playing at home. We had beaten Cal State Fullerton, who was undefeated the week before. And uh, no, they have no timeouts. We run 20. I can remember the play, 27 toss. <laughs> and our fullback fumbles the football. So that was fourth down. All we needed to do, that was third down. All we needed to do is kneel down. The game's over with. So he fumbles it. We recover it still. So we had to punt the ball. So Randall puts the ball. He's the first team All-American punter, Randall. And the ball rolls out like on their seven-yard line. They got 93 yards to go with no timeouts. How much time left? No timeouts. And that probably was a minute. The California Bowl officials had already come down and decorated our locker room and were ready to award us the bowl game. What's the score at the time? I don't remember the score. A but touchdown game? or We're winning. Okay. Yeah, we're yeah. winning. A touchdown game. Okay. So they proceed. They have a great quarterback. They proceed, Todd Dillon, I think it was, to drive down the field, move the chains, get first downs, go out of bounds, and go down to where there's about three seconds left on the clock, and they're on our five-yard line. So it's the last play of the game. Our defensive coordinator blitzes. Well, the free safety blitzes, and that means the running back is was free in the flat. We had a breakdown. They just tossed the ball out to the flat. The running back was in the flat, and they beat us. They beat us. The California Bowl was scurrying around trying to take everything out of our locker room, and we would have gone to bowl game our second year. But the third year we were there. Are you over that, by the way? Do you still think about that? I think about that a lot. I think about that more. than I can tell you that game more than I can tell you about the wins we had that year. I can't even remember. 
because that's a long time ago. And so, what, you, what did you tell a team like that after a game? You lose like that? That we never let that happen again. As long as I'm here, you throwing furniture around or anything just, like that? No, no. Just told them because they were disheartened and so on, and we were. Uh, because at that time, we could have still gone to a bowl game. It's like today. You win seven, eight games, you're going to a bowl game. Yeah. But in those days, there weren't that many bowl games. Yeah. You had to win your conference to go to a bowl game. Yeah. So I told them that this will never happen again. Again, So I said, we start working tomorrow for next year. And I told them in a team meeting that my goal was to put every one of them on the bench when I go recruiting. Here's a lot of guys coming back saying, what's coach telling us? I said, because if I can put you all on the bench, we're going to be better. But it's your fault if I can do that. Because you all got a head start on everybody that's here. So if you let me put you on the bench, it's your fault. It's not my bench. But I'm going to try. Because mm. I got to get better players. If, so this doesn't happen again. Mm. So they accepted my challenge. We went recruiting. We had a great recruiting class. I think 25th in the country. We came back the next year. We had media day. And when you have media day, the coaches get the vote who they think is going to be the conference champion. Well, when the vote came out, it was unanimous. It was UNLV. So all the coaches looked and said, this guy had to vote for himself. That was me. You <laughs> <laughs> had to vote for yourself. So they all looked at me and says, how could it be? You think it's me? Awesome. So immediately they all were against me. Yeah. Because I was assuming I was going to beat every one of them. So I went back and told them that. And by God, we went out and beat every one of them. We had 11-2 and two season. We lost to SMU. And USC, SMU beat Notre Dame in their bowl game, and we played them to a great bowl game, a great game. We lost to Hawaii, who went undefeated. We played them there, and that was a joke. To give you an idea, was I went back there, and I knew the referee. His name was Earl Caldera, and we scored. You know, with about a minute to go, and holding or lining downfield one of those damn things. So he came over to me, and I said, Earl. Who's in, what's the number of the player? And he says, 32, coach, was holding. I said, Earl, the guy standing next to me, the whole game is 32. How can you tell me? He says, coach, remember one thing. I live here, and you're visiting. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so we went 11-2. and two. Uh, We went to the California Bowl. We played University of Toledo, and we had a great victory, a great t- good time there, and we won the game. Did you take Tarkany with you to UNLV? No. Tarkini and State of Passing City College. He didn't have that desire. Okay. I mean, to go four years and so on. So uh, we won that bowl game. It went great. The next year, we had to rebuild. We lost a lot of close games. Went five and five. It had a great recruiting year. And uh, I got fired. I got fired because of supposedly, now this is the start of the president at UNLV getting me and Tarkanian. Same president. And uh, I was the opening act of the show. If he could get me, then he could get Tarkanian. So with no reason, no reason, he made up reasons where kids didn't go to class or kids got in trouble with to get rid of me. And he built it up in the media. This is true. Wow. So I got fired in April right after spring practice. I stayed in Vegas and uh, did not want to coach anymore because I, I just broke my heart because it wasn't my problem. How many years were you at UNLV? Four years. Four, okay. And my feeling was, you know, I can be responsible for players when on the football field. 
But 100 players or 105 or 10 or whatever you have, players, 24 hours a day, I can't be responsible for them all the time. Their parents got to be somewhere. The director of admissions let them in school. What does the director of student activities do? I can't be responsible if they are throwing apples in the, in the, uh, in the student center. I don't know what they want me to do. But they built all these things up, and you know, it became a case, and he let me go, and blah, blah, blah. He wanted to get rid of me because he didn't like Tarkanian either. Jerry? So, Jerry. No, the president didn't like Jerry. Okay. So uh, Was Jerry there at UW? Yeah, yeah we okay. were both there together. At the same time, you guys yeah, got the hired? Armenian twins. And we were you know, kicking everybody's butt and everything, and the conference didn't like that because Jerry dominated basketball in that conference. And here I come along. And we're starting to dominate football. Well, the two revenue-producing sports are football and basketball. If they allow me to continue to do that, well, the rest of them are playing for second. And like that. So they ganged up on both of us. Rather than try to improve their programs, they went after us, okay? So they never. I never had an NCAA violation, none of that. It was none of that kind of stuff. So uh, what was that conversation like when you were getting fired? Did you fire back uh, at the, the president called the athletic director, and he says, I want you to fire Harvey Hyde. He says, I won't. AD said, I won't fire him. He says, then I'll fire him. And she said, but you got to come up to my office because I'm afraid he'll throw me out of the window. <laughs> so it was about eight floors up. You know, there had been a long drop. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so we went up there, and we sat there, and he said to me, he says, you know, you've done a great job here. I said, well, thank you. He says, you've really cared about academics. Your kids are really doing well and so on. But we're just going to go in a different direction. You know that, that term, we're going to go in a different direction. I said, well, really? Well, that's, of course, you being the president, you can do what you want. And he did. He, he followed me, and the athletic director didn't go along with it. And at this time, I had a four-year contract. And I told him, I'm never going to settle with you. I said, you're going to pay me every single month because I'm not going to get a coaching job. And don't mail me the check. I'm going to pick it up. So you have to look at me every every month. Okay? Because I wanted to just tell him, you know what? I'm not going away. Okay? So I went out and I talked to the team and I told the team, I said, guys, you're going to have to practice what I've been teaching you. Mm. It's a sin not to get up off the ground. If you lay on the ground because they fired me, then I didn't teach you right. Uh, I, got a, I got a bad call, but that's where it goes. I don't want any one of you guys transferring or anything because you came here for a reason. So that was tough on me. So I swore that I'd never coach again because I don't own anything. They tell you, clean your office out. And after I worked there four years, 24 hours a day, what do you take with you? Your pencils? I mean, I didn't build a business that I could sell. You didn't build any. You're gone. So uh, I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to become going to radio and television. I said, those guys always got the answers to everything. And this is 86-ish? Huh? 86, 1986? I got fired in 85. Okay. And uh, spring of 85. 86, I guess it would have been 86. You're right. I went down to the, one of the local stations, the biggest station in town. In Vegas. Vegas, KDWN. They carried the Dodgers and everybody, okay? And uh, Claire Reese was her name. I went in and said, Claire, how you doing? Harvey Hyde. She said, oh, I know who you are. I said, I want to do a radio show. She says, what do you know about radio? Nothing. But I, what I want to do is buy an hour of your time. She says, what do you mean an hour of your time? 
I want to make sure that your one hour is always sponsored and so on. I'm going to buy it. I'll go sell it myself. That sounds good, but you'd be flexible around the Dodger games, which were, which was understandable. I'm not going to drop the Dodgers for you. Yeah. I said, that's fine. So I went out and the people in town and I got along really well. They hated the guy. They hated the president for what he did. So they were willing to help me. Coors beer, this, that, I will sponsor, we'll sponsor. They didn't even ask me what station I was on. Just yes, 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 we'll help you, you know. So it went from one hour to two hours, to three hours, to four hours, to whatever it is where, hell, I was doing radio everywhere. And because I was doing radio everywhere, then the national scene came on it. They wanted me to do the color guy on national radio, the game of the week at Penn State or LSU or Tennessee and so on. So I was doing all the radio in Las Vegas and uh, all of a sudden, uh, then I get the national gig. I was flying to Vegas. I flew to Vegas for 30 years. It was my kid, my family wanted to move back here. Moved to Vegas. I was flying there 30 years, go ahead Monday, come back Wednesday or Thursday, go to LAX, get on a plane Friday morning, fly to the East Coast. And for some reason, they gave me the East Coast. I mean, why wouldn't they give me the West Coast? <laughs> so they gave me the East Coast, South Carolina. I was going to all these places where sometimes it was tough to get out after the game. So I had to fly back Sunday, back to LAX, and then fly back to Vegas on Monday. Sheesh. So it became... Uh, are you doing pregame, postgame? What are you doing on the radio in the East? Back No, I was doing the whole game. You were color, broadcasting. You were color... Yeah, color, 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 yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I had, when I would study, I would study on the plane. Wow. Going, you know, on the airplane, going there, I'd study the teams were going to play, and I loved it when we had... What network? I forget what it was. Okay. Now. It was one of those national things. Okay. Also, we're in the airplanes. People, I heard people telling me I listened to the game when I was flying, you know, yeah. and all that stuff. It was one of those syndicates, you know what I mean? So I'm doing a show in Pasadena at the Burger Continental and KDW and radio called USC Trojan Talk, and I did that every Sunday night. I'm six to eight. Because when I was here, I did radio in L.A. too. So I'd come back off my trip and then go down to Burger Continental, work seven days a week, made no difference. Your wife throughout all this. Yep. She was teaching through all this and my kids. Okay. I mean, she's got to be patient with you too. This she is, was. This is a ton But she knew this work. is what you had to do. Okay. So Sunday night, I'd go down there and Mike Garrett always came in there. And there used to be a lot of celebrities if you ever went to the Burger Continental that always hung out there. Celebrities... Rod Dato, Tommy Lasorda. I mean, this was sort of the guru place, the news broadcasters. And they sort of started coming every Sunday night when I did this show. Everybody hung out. Yeah, It's like a hangout. And uh, Mike Garrett would come with his family and hang out, and he'd listen to the show, listen to the show. So after one of the shows, he came over to me and said, call me tomorrow. Okay, Mike, we became friends. I call him, he says, you know, I learned more about my athletic department listening to your show than I know because I'm always working at SC. I don't know what's going on. You tell me everything when I come down here every Sunday. He says, I want you to do our pregame show and postgame show. Oh. I said, well, who do I interview with? He says, you don't interview with anybody. He says, when I go in Monday, I just tell him <laughs> that we got to change. <laughs> I said, okay. <laughs> so... They set up a stage for us at the Coliseum. And if you're listening out there and if you ever went by, the, we'd have two, 3,000 people two hours before the game at the Coliseum, the Peristyle Inn. Big stage, big stage. 
we'd have two, 3,000 people come out there and I would kiss the babies and, and you know what I mean? <laughs> I'd, I'd do it all and the team would walk in front of us and I'd see Pete Carroll and fight on and all the stuff that everybody loved. The team would look up and I'd say, Matt Leiter, good luck. And he'd look up and give me the, you know, SC signal and all that stuff. So I did that. <clears throat> then on Sunday mornings, they put together, they wanted another show, The Station. Station says, it's too popular. We got to have you on Sunday morning. So they call it Trojan Brunch with the Coach. So at 8 o'clock on Sunday mornings, after doing all this other stuff, I'd get up at 7, go down to uh, ESPN Studios right by Staples Center. I don't know if you know yeah. where that is. Yeah. I'd go in the studio <clears throat> at 8 o'clock, and I'd do a, a show called Trojan Brunch with the Coach. And I would solve all their problems. I'd let them vent. I'd let them say, now, I'd say to them, now, have you talked enough? I'd take nothing. I'd talk two hours with with listeners. I mean, that had bitches, excited. Business was really good when they lost, though. Yeah. People were really upset. Oh. The phone lines would be just lit up. You're a therapist at that yeah, point. I yeah, I was a therapist. Coach, tell me about this yeah. guy. This is the dumbest SOB I've yeah. ever known, and this and that, and so on. Say, are you through? <laughs> you feel better now? Yeah. Okay, good. I want you to relax. Yeah, I agree with you, but, you know. Yeah. Then I got a call one morning from Mike Thompson, who was a program director at ESPN, and he says, it was real early in the morning. I was in my car driving down there, 6 o'clock or something. He says, Coach, you got to go four hours this morning. I said, four hours? By myself? He says, yeah, because they just fired Lane Kiffin. You remember when that happened? Sure. And he says, you'll be so busy that we got to have you. We're going to preempt all our other programming. You're going to go 8 to 12. So I said, okay. So we went at 8 to 12, and it was, it was unbelievable. You know, you can imagine the feelings. Everybody woke up to it. Yeah. So I did that for several years, and then ESPN picked up the Rams. So when they picked up the Rams, that eliminated me from a lot of those shows because the Rams had their pregame shows and stuff. And it was like 10 o'clock they'd come on, so they'd want the 8 to 10 hour and whatever when they were on the East Coast and so on. So that sort of eliminated me because that was ES, ESPN's program. And it yeah. wasn't USC. And then USC left that station and went to this other station. I don't even know what the name of it is, but they shouldn't have. So I went to KLAA. I went down and talked with them. They knew who I was because they'd listened to all the shows. And I said, I'd like to do a, a showdown here on Sunday mornings to replace the show I was doing. And the guy said, yeah, we can make a time for you. So they made time for me. So I took my show from ESPN to KLA, the Angel Station, the Duck Station, the Raider Station now. And today I can do this podcast with you because I'm not doing my show today on uh, KLA because the Raiders bumped me. So if there is a live broadcast, I'm bumped. I come back next week and do two hours, yeah. you know, to make up for the one hour. So, and I normally do a podcast today too, but I'm doing this podcast and I do the USC football. I forgot to tell you, I do a USC football podcast.com with Ryan Abraham every Sunday or Monday. So I arranged this for you, Mikey, because I promised you we were going to do this. I didn't know this was going to be the topic. So uh, I'm doing that now. And I've done this for maybe five, 10 years. I'm not sure, you know, since they made that switch. I don't know how many years the Rams have been back. But uh, it's worked very well. I'm very fortunate. I have great sponsors. I think one thing people do when they listen to it, they say, gosh, coach, how do you get those great sponsors? Because there's not sponsors who are, you know, who is this guy? What I mean, what is it? They're really well-known, 
great sponsors and a lot of them are from Vegas, Vegas people who uh, advertise their hotels, casinos and so on, which they feel is really a great market here because it's a big station and it's strong because of football and the popularity and sports in Las Vegas. Now it's really good. And I've got some of the casinos here, Saboba casino, who's a sponsor out in uh, the Hemet area, who's a sponsor. So uh, a lot of those pieces, Fletcher Jones, you know, good sponsors. I mean, solid people who want to uh, advertise on the show. So it's really good. When you're selling, are you selling in person? Oh, yeah. You go to the door. I do it all. Let me tell you, I have employees. I do the show. I get the talent. I sell the show. People don't want to hear someone talk to them that they don't know. And they can't get through to them. They don't want to make a decision, take it back to a committee. I'm the committee. So when we sit and we negotiate prices and so on, say, hey, we can do it right now. I don't have to take just anybody. You want to do the show? I can give you this, throw this on top of it, whatever it is. You know, I do like sharp seating that does the seating for the Rose Bowl parade. I mean, I can negotiate all those things because I know the people. Yeah. So it works a lot easier. And plus, I have a lot of great friends in Las Vegas. They've been very... Very good to me. Now, I forgot, I neglected to tell you, one year I coached with George Allen at Long Beach State in 1990. Uh, he called me up. <clears throat> I was doing all my radio shows. Now, you know, I've told you about the radio shows. So he called me up. He says, I just got the head coaching job at Long Beach State, Cal State Long Beach. Now, he hadn't been in college, college football for 30 years. I mean, when he was at Whittier. He says, I want you to come as my associate head coach. I'm currently in Washington, D.C., working for Ronald Reagan as the, uh, what was he, director of, of uh, physical conditioning, educate, you know, conditioning for the government. And uh, he says, I need someone here until I can move back out there to run the football program. I said, coach, I can't do it. I'm so busy with radio and so on, I can't give you everything I need to give you as far as doing it. He says, he says you meet with me. So he flew out here, and when he was here one weekend, uh, right away he, he met me, and I went down there, and, and he had, I still have the pad, United States White House you know, yeah. thing. We said, this is why I need you, and this is your responsibilities. And he gave me about 50 responsibilities. Associate head coach, recruiting coordinator, running back coach, this, that. I said, coach, how do I do all this? I'm doing radio and so on. You, he says, you still do your radio. Wow. He says, when we go to dinner, you go in your office and you do your shows. If you need to go to Vegas, you get in a plane after practice and you fly to Vegas. Just fly back so you can be here in the morning. So he was very convincing. In fact, he got to a point that he signed this thing, and he says, let's go get dessert. And I said, Coach, I got to get home. I got a lot of things to do. I'll think about it. He said, no, let's go by Ronald Reagan's house. I said, Coach, I don't need to go by Ronald Reagan's house. But he's going, well, yeah, you do need to go by his house because we need to talk football, and he needs to meet. I said, Coach, I'm going home. So my wife says that was the dumbest thing I ever did. Uh, man, I was going to say. <laughs> she says, you're pretty dumb. She uh, says, but that was stupid. You could have gone by because he was in town too. Damn. and would have met the president of the United States and all this and that. Dog football, but that was, you know. You know, the selling portion of your life, you've been doing your entire life, it sounds like. And when I was growing up playing high school sports, a lot of teachers, academic teachers, didn't understand why I took it so serious, the sport, why I didn't do my homework. I, yeah. ba- I barely went, got through high school. And I'm thankful for that because that's what makes you competitive in life. I wasn't going to be a pro athlete. I knew that. 
But when I'm on the court, when I'm in life, I'm freaking competitive. And I'm going to kick the shit out of my competition. Doesn't matter who you are. And sports taught me that. And a lot of people don't understand that. Parents don't understand that. Teachers don't understand that. A lot of people don't understand that. How much of that do you think has to do with your competitiveness today? 100%. 100%. You know what I say every day and when I speak and so Have a winning day. Game day is every day. Yeah. When you finish with your sports background and what you do, I make a list every day like it's a practice schedule and a game plan. And I go through, you've been on my game plan. When do we make this? Two weeks ago? Three weeks ago? Yeah, a month ago, yeah. This is a play that we called. Yeah. Now we're running it today. You'll run off and run another play. I'll run off and run another play. But game day is every day. And you'll learn that, the discipline. You, you learn you're not going to win every game. Yep. But you'll learn you're not going to sit around and cry about it. You're going to get back up and go after someone else. And that's what a lot of people don't understand, that you learn a competitiveness. You learn to play hurt. You learn to not let things deject you where you, you can't face the world and so on. You've got to. Yeah. I mean, you think I like to go to a press conference when we just got beat? No. Right. But you got to do it. It's easier to go out and get your newspaper when you win. Right. When you when you lose, you go out and sneak to sneak to get your newspaper. My dog even bit me when I came home when we lost. <laughs> so <laughs> my family wouldn't talk to me. But you know, you know what I'm trying to say. You take it really serious. And I did a podcast the other day or a radio show the other day, and I said, you know, what I can't take, and I can never take as a football coach, is when you fail at something how players can be laughing and having fun on the field or getting on the bus or playing, flying home and kidding around. I would tell those guys, you don't have to worry about going on a trip anymore, but we're not taking you. It didn't yeah. mean enough to you. When you fail at something you do, it's got to hurt. Yep. So you don't want to hurt like that again, Whether whatever it is, you know. By the way, I did take the job. He talked me into taking a job at Long Beach State. We had a great season there. And when he passed away, I did not want the head football coaching job at Long Beach State because they were a pretender. And what I mean by a pretender, they wanted to have a football team to keep everybody in the city happy and administration, alumni happy. They had a football team. They didn't want to win. Uh, I mean, they didn't want to win at the level I wanted to win at. Yeah. Were uh, you on the defensive side or offensive huh? side? What? There I was the associate head coach, running back coach, recruiting coordinator. Okay. So I was on the offensive side. So... I didn't want the head coach there because I didn't recruit any, want to recruit any more players there. I didn't have really a chance. We were playing some teams that we shouldn't be playing, Clemson. And what are we doing playing Clemson? Jeez. I mean, really, teams like this, you know, to, to keep the program alive yeah. for the money. I mean, that, that's not me. I give my kids a chance. Yeah. I mean, I want to take them and really say, hey, we got a chance to win this. I, hey, guys, we're going to win yeah. this. What are you telling me? Yeah, you, know? you, can, you can't discourage them. Oh, I don't you got to be realistic. You've been a coach your whole life. How having kids were they like your teammates? How did you, how did you coach them in life? Who's that? Your children. Oh, my children. <laughs> I write a column in the newspaper. I don't know if you read it. Go by, pick it up. Mountain View News. You ever see that newspaper? No. no. It's in Sierra Madre, Duarte, Monrovia, San Gabriel, South Pasadena, whatever. You write it every every other week. Every other it's week. in this week. Or if you drive through Sierra Madre, pick one up. Okay. And this week's copy uh, said, uh, should you allow your kids to play football today? You know, everybody's saying the concussions and this and that. So I write about that. I write about different topics that people should think about yep. before they say, no, 
or they say yes, or they start making the kid work out when he's six years old, lifting weights and all this kind of stuff. No, you should let a kid make a decision if he wants to be uh, an opera singer or something and encourage him. Everybody's not made to be an athlete. You got to teach them to be the best, whatever they want to be best doctor, best lawyer, whatever it is, you're best at what you do. And, uh, but, uh, what was the question? Your kids, how did you, how did my kids told me the other day I wrote it in a call. One of my daughters said, dad, I never wanted to be like you. Never. Because all you did was work, work. And you know what? I'm exactly like you. Yeah. Everything I do, because she's diversified. I'm diversified too, Michael. Not just in radio, television, all these other things. I do a lot of other businesses and so on. Uh, I'm on a lot of charity boards. I'm on Hall of Fame boards. I'm on Rose Bowl boards. I'm on hospital boards. I'm on, I'm just thinking, you know, all these clubs and boards. And this takes all time. Because if I'm going to be on something, I'm going to be at the meetings. I'm not going to be like somebody I can't make it today. I'm going to arrange my schedule that I talked about earlier so I can be on them, be there, contribute. Raise funds. Do what my job is. I don't know what my job is. Passing a quarterback club, uh, I get the speakers so that we have great speakers where people want to come and so on. So these are all the things I've got involved in. It's really too much. But uh, like when I leave here today, it's a Sunday we're doing this. I got things lined up I got to do today because it's Sunday. And uh, along with watching NFL football. My kids, my kids are great kids. Uh, Very fortunate to like your family. We're close. We do anything for each other. I'm not afraid to help them in anything they need. That's my life. I don't need anything. I'm happy in a shorts and a t-shirt, just like we're sitting here today. That's me. I'm not a mannequin. A mannequin you put in a window with a coat and tie on, it looks great, okay? Not a mannequin. I'm a person. I'm a person, people. Even though you look really good in a suit at my wedding. Yeah, I did. I did. You, you know, did. That's the second time I've ever worn that suit. Look- I bought it at Nordstrom's. <laughs> you look really good, man. You look sharp. <laughs> I'll tell you what, that, I, I wouldn't want to talk about your wedding, but I really had a good time. It was wonderful. Happy you were Sat there. Sat with some friends and had a good time. I'm not going to talk about it, but maybe you don't want people to know. But you wanted, you married a wonderful girl. Yeah, I did. Wonderful I don't, you're a pretty good damn recruiter, you know that? Hey. I don't know what you, you missed saw out on me, you. man. You I missed don't. out on me. <laughs> my wife, I asked my wife, what did you see in me? <laughs> she said, you didn't let me go out with anybody else. You got the word out that, hey, nobody goes out with this girl. She said, I had no choice. <laughs> you, uh, you're a self-motivating guy. Where, where does that come from? I mean, you're, how old are you, Harvey? 84. 84. You're you've you've got the heartbeat of a thirty five year old. Where does that come yeah. from? How how is it constant all the time? Well, it's just a number. And as long as you keep your battery charged and you're working and you try to take care of yourself, you can't predict everything. But uh, you'll have longevity if you try to eat right and you're friendly and you talk to people and keep your mind sharp, remembering things you have to do and so on. I'm not happy without working. I'm just not happy. If I got up in the morning and didn't have anything to do, I would be sick. Right. I would probably be sick. I can't wait to get up and I got to go here. I got to write this. I got to be, there. I'll come back. My wife said, where are you going? I'm going to Mikey's house. I mean, what are you going to do over there? You yeah. know what I mean? On yeah. Sunday, you know, I mean, I've got to be helping someone, doing something, doing something for myself or the house, or we got to get the tree trimmers over here or 
you know, we got to change light bulbs. She tells me, leave the light bulbs in the yard alone. And I said, no, that one's out. It's killing me when I look down there. That's just the way I am. Yeah. The car's dirty. I got to go wash my car. How come you don't wash your car? I'll wash your car too. That's just me. And I can't change that. And uh, and I, I like living like that till the day I'm not around here, man. Well, they say you'll lose it if you don't use it. That's right. And it's very true. It is. And they say retire is to expire. That's right. Right? It's, it's true. Look at your family. Yeah. You got to keep going. You got to have a purpose. You got to wake up with a purpose. You do. You got to come. You got to have do. a game plan. Do you, right? do you feel guilty sometimes staying in bed? Oh, I can't. I, I'm sick. I'm. I really am. If I if I wake up and then I oversleep a little bit more, I'm I'm sick. You're behind schedule. The, uh, the rest of the day, I'm I am very upset. I don't feel good. I'm not the same person. Yeah, for sure. Tarkanian and yourself, Jerry Tarkanian, and you same time to Vegas. Uh, did you ever see Winning Time on HBO? That series, that movie, yeah, mm-hmm. with the Lakers, yeah, yeah, yeah. You saw that scene where Jerry Buss, yeah, went and met up with Jerry, yeah, at the restaurant, just mm-hmm. just went up to him. Mm-hmm. How much of that is true? I would say, I would say it's it's pretty true. Mm-hmm. So Jerry walked up to Jerry Buss, went to Tarkanian, wanted to recruit him. He was ready to sign him. Mm-hmm. And Jerry Tarkanian and his wife were driving to L.A. And there were some guys in town who didn't like Jerry Tarkanian leaving the city. because I don't, I don't know all about that part of it. But I did know Vic Weiss, who they found in the trunk. Yeah. He went to Pasadena City College with Jerry Tarkanian. That's unreal. He was a football player on their national championship team. Now, other than that... Was he his manager or... Friend, no, his friend, football okay. player friend, and he was like his agent or negotiated with this deal. But as far as all that other stuff, I have no idea. Crazy, it is crazy, crazy, it is crazy. Jerry's on his way with his wife to L.A. That's what I heard. Coach the Lakers, and then he gets a call that yeah. this guy's dead in a trunk, <clears> and Tarkanian's like, "I ain't taking this job. I might be next. I head back home to to Vegas." I don't know how true that all is, but I really need to talk to him about that. Okay. All I know is here are things that are happening. I didn't get that involved in any of those type of negotiations or discussions. Yeah. That was things that uh, may have happened before I went there. I think it did. It happened before I went to UNLV. He was there, yeah, before. Uh, A couple more, and I'll let you go. But I know when he went to uh, San Antonio. Yeah. We went and watched him play there and all that. That's right. The Spurs. That was first, and he didn't like the he didn't like NBA. He looked uncomfortable in the NBA. He didn't like it because he couldn't pick his team. You see, when you're in the NBA, they picked the a team for you. They say, "This is your point guard. This is your guard. This is your guard. This is who your center is going to be." Well, that's not Targ. I want to. I want. I know who plays my system. I want to get my personality kid. And I remember we went to Myron um, Tarkane. I went to watch his game, and uh, we we're in Colorado, I think, or Utah. I forget where. So we're sitting in the uh, his room, and he's got this gift basket. You know, they put a gift, welcome to town, Tark. And uh, he wasn't happy, and he wanted me to go talk to the owner. Jerry. Yeah, okay. he said, go talk to the owner. Tell him I don't want that point guy. Tell him, I said, Tark, I can't talk to the owner and tell him what to do. You tell him what to do. Yeah. He said, no, and he went off the gift basket, and he ripped it open, okay? I'm going to have an apple or some grapes or something. He, there was a big piece of cheese. And Tark, Tark has cholesterol problems. And he took a big bite out of this cheese and started chewing it. He says, 
I want to kill myself. <laughs> and he started eating his teeth. He said, what are you doing, you idiot? I said, he says, I can't even pick my own players. You know, and he wasn't happy. He Tark was one of the guys that he always used to say, I want a full bench, but I don't want more than eight players. I want the other guys to be happy they're here. I want my other guys, I want, what do you call, good morale. And that's why he had eight or nine great players, and the rest of them were, you know, I could have made it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Practice players. Yeah. And the bump in pay was probably 10 or 15 fold, but he didn't care. No, he didn't care. He was, you know, he was at that time making good money, but not like today, guys. Yeah. I mean, this is a whole different program. I mean, these guys make more in one year than he did in a career. Unreal. Really? It's unbelievable. It's unreal. Uh, talking about that, Caleb Williams, do you think he's going to be a good pro? Yeah. You do? I think he's a great player. He's yeah. just in a, in a situation right now where it's very difficult for him. Because they're putting, uh, they're trying to get one guy to beat eleven, and on defense, and you can't do that. You got to give a guy help. Remember, he's in his second year now, and coaches are smart. Defensive coordinators are smart, and they know and they study all off season how to stop somebody and how do you stop somebody. Well, they've been doing that. And if you watch the last three or four games, they're all running the same thing, doing the same thing, and there's been no adjustment on the offensive side of the football as far as trying to help him. They they stick with the air raid. It's the same air raid that Graham Harrell had or anybody who's coached there over the last three or four years or eight years, but they're all from the same tree, yeah. Mike Leach tree. They played for Mike Leach. They coached for Mike Leach. That's all they know. They never coach with anybody else. So they don't know what to do when they do that. So it's a very difficult situation for the USC fans, for the players and so on, and, of course, for Caleb Williams. If you look at him, he, he's he's stressed out because he's trying too hard. That's why they're having the turnovers. They're not pass blocking. They're not trying to do things that help him as far as certain plays that get, get different defenses, secondary calls. And uh, it's just a very stressful thing. And it's going to be worse now when they lost to Utah last night because a close football game, team's going to shock. It's better to get the hell beat out of you and say, man, than to lose a game like that on the last play of the game. Yeah. Have you spoken to Caleb? No. You've never talked no. to him. He's very protected. Seems like Lincoln it. Riley is very protected. His practices are limited. His press conferences are limited. If I have any criticism along with some of the things he's doing, it's he's too protected. He's not a public type of guy. You don't see him at events. You invite him to speak at certain events. He doesn't want to do it. He doesn't come. Caleb or Lincoln? Lincoln. Lincoln Riley, yeah. And I think that's part of being accepted to a community. Yep. As far as being out, go to restaurants, shake people's hands, kiss babies, take pictures with people, yep. go to alumni clubs, walk down Fraternity Row and Sorority Row, see you at the game tomorrow, good luck, do a lot of cheering, go over and see the band, tell the band you play so well, thank you very much. Be the public face of the football program. The face. Have great assistance and allow them to do some of the things that are necessary, and if they can't get it done, you get somebody that can. But uh, I think that's not been what his uh, philosophy has been, and I think he's been very protected. I don't keep tabs on SC football. I've, I've read a couple transcripts from his press conferences. I don't think he wants to be here, Harvey. I don't think there's a real good connection with him here. It's, 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 a, 
it's a change. LA's a different city. You know, you come from Norman, Oklahoma, there's no competition. There's no yeah. Lakers, there's no Clippers, there's no Dodgers, there's no Angels, there's no Chargers, there's no Lakers. You know, there's no Rams. All of a sudden, uh, wow, what am I? There's there's a freeway here. Yeah. Where the hell I get off? Where am I? I need a driver or, you know, all these different type of things. Well, I think he's in a little bit of shock because of the media. The media here is strong. It's not like one newspaper or 10 newspapers. I mean, and they've been really nice to him, but now it's, it's tuning up. It's not. It's going to be very difficult because of the way they felt they've been treated, not being able to watch practice. Yeah. Uh, all the different things, the suspension of that one kid, young intern, that they had to uh, turn around and allow him to come to practice because he wrote something that they didn't like. I mean, really, come on. I mean, you know, media. Remember, they say, never argue with a guy that's got a gallon of ink or or barrel of ink because they're going to get more words in than you are every day. So you better, That's you know, so, so if you do something wrong, they'll think he's a good guy. You know, we won't say it as, as harshly. But if you don't treat us right, not me, I don't care. I'm a yeah. coach. I don't go to the press conference because I don't want to ask him questions and embarrass him or put him in that type of position, position coach to coach. And a lot of these guys that ask him questions really haven't played football or right. know it that well, but want to find out about it. You know what I mean? And they'll accept any answer he says. Report came out about Caleb Williams. Uh, whoever he gets drafted to, he wants some stake in that NFL football franchise. Yeah, well, that's not going to happen. Okay, why is it? Why? 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 Because he has nothing to say about it. I mean, if he's drafted, you're drafted with that team. Now, if you start making demands before you do anything, you know, you better. I mean, I, you know, he just better finish this season, okay, and try not to get hurt and and act like a, a you know. Don't pout. Don't be special. Be yourself. We see on TV, we see on all the ads. And what makes it worse is when you're doing all these commercials and you're making all this money and then you don't act smiling or greeting people or, yeah. you know, it, it, you've got to be a human being. You've got to make people like you. And I think that I'm not sure if these players are prepped to that. Like what I used to do when my Players, before the season started, I had them meet with a media expert. Tell them how to answer a question, how to meet somebody, how to look at them in the eyes, how to shake their hands. Yes, sir, thank you for interviewing me. These type of things. Because a lot of the kids have never before been in front of a camera or understand how important it is. Yep. Like, how would you allow him, as, as a football coach, to put what he put on his fingernails last year in those two games? How would you allow that? Yeah. How would you as the athletic director allow that to go to a school and play with those type of things on national television? Are you kidding me? Well, you're representing the university. You're representing our football program, our alumni. I mean, the words and stuff you put on, that's ridiculous. And you don't think teams want to beat you when you do that? Doesn't help your image at all. I think he's turning some people off. I think mean, his dad came out and said if there's teams that are potentially could draft him, that yeah. he'll just stay. I mean, God forbid this guy blows a knee. Stay at SC. You're right because he's making. He'll make as much money there. Yeah, as he is in the NFL. You agree with them making money in college? No, I don't like that at all. Yeah, I think it takes away from the college experience. I think that you're already making money when you get a free scholarship. Remember, 
if your parent is sending you to school, it costs $70,000, $80,000 go to USC, okay? Well, they don't have to, you know, that kid doesn't pay taxes on that. It's a full scholarship. He got the best classes, the best tutors, the best food, the, the best of everything. He's a special person. And he gets free tuition, free everything. Best training table anywhere. Well, isn't that a job in a way getting paid for it? I mean, now it's at a point where what can you do for me? What can you do for me? Well, I don't, I don't know what I can do for you. I think an education and playing sports is a pretty good thing to give you. And if you're fortunate enough, you'll be able to go out and make a great job and work your entire life and be competitive and be an SC alumnus. Now, if you don't play, if I don't play you or you don't like me, you leave. Go to another school. Well, you know, I think you lose. What school are you going to say you graduated from? What school, who, who are your, your players, uh, your friends, all of that? It's limited. You have a very small group, you know? It's all about me, all about me, and I think it should be more about team. I mean, in society, it's changed. It is. Everything's you, different. You, you can't compare any of this to 10 years ago. No. Say six, I mean, you're comparing to six, 50, 60, 60 50 years, years ago. 50 years, so, so you can't even. 50 years. I think we hit on a lot. Anything else you want to mention or talk about? No, uh, I think it's uh, great that you're doing this because you love doing this, and I think you should have a passion. I don't know if you play golf or other things. This is maybe your uh, spare time activities, and you have a chance really to find out some things. I li- I'm not a book reader, okay? I yeah. don't know if you're a book reader. I'm a person. Per- I like to sit down and talk to people. Right. Find out really where I don't have to read the book. Like If I have a question, I can't ask the book. That's right. And I think that this is why you do a good job. You have a nice setup here. It's really great. I love looking around your little studio. I think it's super. Thanks, Harvey. And I want to thank you very much for having me on. I appreciate you, man. We love you. I love you too. And listen, Thanks. I just want to tell people that if you want to follow me, okay, because I tweet out everything I'm doing and where I'm at, whatever. I'm going to tweet out all this stuff too when yeah. you tell me it's going to be up. So they can follow follow me at, at Coach Harvey Hyde. That's H-Y-D, at Coach Harvey Hyde. And I tweet out everything at halftime after each quarter of the SC games, what I think they should be doing, whatever. I do a podcast on uscfootball.com. I have a webpage, harveyhyde.com. Harveyhyde.com, where you can find out all about me. I have a library where you can pull out all the shows and listen to whatever you want. So, you know, I'll just do a little cross-promoting. And I'm going to tweet out everybody about what we did today when you tell me you're ready to do that and get yeah. it out on the social media for sure we'll put all those uh links in the show notes too it'd be easy for people to just click it and go to all that stuff yeah too, so you go to all of it make it easy for them i want to the people i want you to leave them with something motivational i mean you're a self-motivated guy and i think we like we just finished talking about this generation and the generations to come is a little bit uh shaky society's a little bit shaky nowadays I want to. I want you to leave them with something that will motivate them, or or how to kind of just do life and how to be successful at life. Well, I think first of all, have to respect people, treat people like you want to be treated. I used to tell my players, you only have to really know four or five words, and you get through life, because people uh, get a first impression. You don't get a second chance. It's the first impression people get of you. If you say yes, ma'am, yes, sir. Shake your hands, look at a person in the eye. Can I assist you in anything? Here, ma'am, let me get that door for you. But if you never know whose door you're helping, it could be someone that's a CEO of a company that says, hey, kid, here's my card. If I ever need anything or you need anything, call me. Or I know a lot of times I go off to 
to lunch with some of my people who own restaurants, big chains, or fast food places, and someone's really waiting on us good, and they'll hand them their card, and they say, you know what? If you're looking for a job, call me. You do such a great job. So whatever you're doing, do it first class. Don't act like you don't want to be there. Do everything, whether it's in the classroom or if you see somebody struggling with books that you carry them for them or somebody's crossing the street that needs help or whatever it is, do it. Don't lower yourself where you don't see it. Attempt to help people. And by helping people, people help you. And you feel better about yourself. And I try to do that in everything I do. My wife says, now, what are you talking to that guy about? I say, I don't know, but I just want to talk to him and say hi and and how are you doing today? And it makes someone feel good, but some people don't have anybody talking to them or anything. So learn to have time for other people. Learn to treat people like you want to be treated. You never know what could happen. Agree. You never know who you're connecting with. Never. Yeah. Never. Like I never knew hands. who you were until I started talking to you. And yeah. now, man, am I lucky to know you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. Uh-huh. God bless you, Harvey. Thank you very much. Appreciate you, man. I love the way he ended uh, so perfectly when he was talking about he doesn't like reading books. I, I like reading books. I think it kind of calms you down at times. But I understand what he was saying, and it makes so much sense, and that's really one of the reasons why I do this is because it's it's opening up somebody else's book about their life and you can't ask the book questions you can ask person questions and uh yeah it's it's really one of the reasons why I have the show I thought that was amazing Harvey's awesome so much fun to be around always a good time always great energy he's funny He's passionate. No matter what he's doing, he's got a ton of passion in it. And I think we could all take that. You know, we can all take that in our lives. No matter what we're doing, you got to have passion for it. You got to care for it. He's doing life right. Well, I'm here to remind you to please, if you enjoyed that episode, take five seconds out of your day. Go on Spotify. Give me a five-star review real quick. And then Apple Podcast, five-star review there. And if you can leave a review, would be much appreciated. Thank you so much for making me a part of your day. I am Mike Gabriel. This is Mike the Pod. Until next time, folks, no wasted days. Let's go. Let's go.